ambitious national infrastructure package appears to be moving forward, as a bipartisan group of U.S. senators last week agreed to advance the issue. It's not a done deal yet, but the proposed $550 billion in new federal investments in roads, bridges, water, rail, and other infrastructure projects could be a game changer for many cities and towns across Oklahoma, especially those in rural communities. I'm Ben Felder, and on this week's episode of the OML Podcast, I speak with Oklahoma Municipal League Executive Director Mike Bina about the latest on this infrastructure package, what mayors and city leaders need to know, and how they can help move the plan forward. I also talk with Mike about the recent spike in COVID cases and what city leaders are doing in response. That's all coming up on this week's episode of the OML Podcast. Mike, so, you know, it's interesting to me when we talk about infrastructure is during the last presidential administration, infrastructure was talked about a lot because it is often a bipartisan issue. So the Trump administration consistently talked about infrastructure, and I think as a way of trying to get past some of the partisanship that has just really defined Washington over the last several years. And it's the same with the Biden administration. Infrastructure was something that he talked about right out of the gate because this is something that Republicans and Democrats, for the most part, can agree on. And of course, we've seen some debate and disagreement on just the structure and, and, the, and the process. And not everyone's going to agree on everything. But everyone can agree that we need better roads, we need a better bridges, we need better airports, we need a better rail system, you know, all the things that kind of come in, in with infrastructure. And it looks like we actually are starting to see an infrastructure plan that the administration has been talking about start to come into a reality in the sense that it looks like the Senate's going to take this issue up. Absolutely. And going back to what you said or started with, and I don't, I don't want to get partisan in our discussion, but during the four years of the Trump administration, it, it felt like every month we heard the infrastructure bill's coming. It's coming, and then it never, it never developed. And I, I think the reason for that is because it is such a popular issue Everybody was trying to claim it as their campaign issue, and what I would have preferred that they had done back then is just all get together and do this bipartisan effort. I have to give the Biden administration a lot of credit. Um, They've been talking about it since the campaign, and they actually now, it appears, this week even, have come to a bipartisan agreement. And I don't want to give Biden all the credit for this. he, he obviously was the, the lead negotiator on it, but the Republicans had to come to the table, mm-hmm. and they did. Uh, I thought they, they put together a great plan that will very much benefit our municipalities. Yeah, we may someday get to a point in America where one political party is four potholes and one is against. <laughs> I mean, but we're not there yet, and, and nobody knows that better than, than mayors, right? I mean, Correct. because, uh, you know, these are, uh, for the most part, nonpartisan positions, and mayors across Oklahoma you know, they're used to talking about, you know, water infrastructure, you know, pipes, bridges, roads. And while sometimes local politics can get into play when it comes to how are we going to pay for it, you know, everyone's in agreement that we need a, a serious um, investment in our infrastructure. So what are we talking about in this in this plan? What, if it becomes a reality, what's involved? In it? It's all it's it, all encompassing of infrastructure. I And that's one of the things I really like about it. We're going to see money for water and wastewater. We're going to see money for roads. 
the biggest thing uh, that I suppose is a change in, in the history of talking about infrastructure is that there's going to be a huge emphasis on broadband, that we're already seeing that over the last few years that that's been a top priority. Well, now you see it dollars attached to it um, w with this bill. Public transit, uh, I know that, that there are, People probably don't think about it as much in Oklahoma unless you're in one of our larger cities, but but then it also includes train travel, uh, and that actually is a big deal to Oklahoma if you've ever been on the Heartland Flyer, even expanding the routes, adding new stops uh, or, or more runs a day. Uh, that will actually help transform tourism in Oklahoma and actually in the region. So it's really all-encompassing. Yeah, the rail one's really interesting, and especially for what it could mean for a city like Oklahoma, or a state like Oklahoma, because we obviously in the Northeast, um, you know, it's a fairly decent rail infrastructure, um, you know, by American standards, and even some other parts of the country, Chicago, California, you know, are a little bit further along. Right now we have one route between Oklahoma City and Fort Worth, with which has several stops um, kind of along that I-35 corridor, Right now, Amtrak is saying that with this infrastructure that they could possibly expand that route north, so towards Wichita, Kansas City, which would connect you to St. Louis and Chicago. So you're talking about more cities, you know, once again along that I-35 corridor. They're also talking about expanding that, like you said, from one from one daily uh, service to as much as three. You think, uh, we were talking about this earlier, I mean, think about what that means for like a city like Paul's Valley. Instead of just seeing that one line or one morning, one evening, now if you're seeing three, you're so you're potentially seeing six. You know, who knows what the what it'll end up being? But I mean, you're talking about you know more visitors to your city. I mean, that could be a real game changer for a city like Fall Valley. Uh, absolutely. It, we always get accused of being the flyover state, uh, but I, I think the roll through state would would actually very much benefit Oklahoma. But you, Paul's Valley is a great example because they got an incredible depot down there, and things close and other. But if you just follow that track, kind of following the I-35 corridor. And think about all the cities. I mean, uh, look at what um, what um, Ardmore has done. Mm -hmm. If you have not visited Ardmore lately, you have to go. And they've really made the theme out of the, yeah. that one end of the of their main street to be to be what the train stop. Uh, so I, I think that you you'll see a lot more cities embrace it. And then if we can get that northern line to to Kansas. Uh, now think about all of those stops along the way. I mean, this could be a game changer for even like Tonkawa. And, and mm -hmm. uh, so I think that, uh, that that is a very intriguing part. Rail is, uh, the lure of rail is something that people just have this nostalgic feeling for. I know a lot of people that, that do. And uh, I think just adding that would just enhance tourism. And it, not only in Oklahoma, but in the region. And that's good for Oklahoma. Well, and there's no doubt getting to Dallas, the Dallas area by rail is not easier than driving. I mean, it's still easier to drive, right. probably still easier to fly. Right. But if you can get to that point where rail becomes a viable option, where you can go down there, you know, for a business trip, um, you know, then, then you are talking about a real game changer, you know, you know, for all the cities along the route, and especially for Oklahoma City. You know, you're talking about public transit, airports are included in this. Yes. We often think about big cities, but I mean, there are a lot of smaller and medium-sized cities across the state of Oklahoma, where the airport is critically important. Absolutely. You know, it, that's interesting you bring that up. L last week I was with Mayor Bynum in Tulsa, and one of the topics was adding uh, direct flights from Tulsa, uh, which is a big deal to, to Tulsa if they, could, if they could expand that. We had that issue in Stillwater. Nobody thinks about that, but, they're, mm -hmm. but they actually are a large hub uh, in, in Stillwater, and, and they have been fighting for their direct flights out of there. Uh, I, I think that's great for Oklahoma, and we have some really fantastic regional airports. Alva is a perfect mm -hmm. example. 
Alva has a first-class airport, for, especially for the size of community that they are, because they have so much oil and gas up there. And what it has done for Alva, it has allowed these large oil and gas companies to locate offices there in Alva because their, their people can fly right in, and, and, and it's probably easier than trying to deal with Oklahoma City. Uh, and they get first-class service in Alva. And I know that the mayor, Kelly Parker there, has really put an emphasis on that airport. And, and I think it's paying off for him. Yeah, I, my parents used to live in Alva, and I would, uh, when I would visit, I would you'd hear people talk about the airport. There's, it's also like a tourism destination. People who fly to Colorado from Texas or even Oklahoma, uh, there's a there's a fueling station there at the there airport. Is. That's right. I think there's even a restaurant. I don't. I, I, I believe I there is. I know there's a really nice lounge that they've okay, built yeah. that look. I mean, rivals any airport you're going to find. Yeah, but th- but those direct flights, uh, you know, talk about a city like Stillwater with direct service to Dallas. I mean, now you're just one stop away from almost any destination in the country that makes a big difference, especially if maybe you've got a, u- a university playing a Pac-10. <laughs> right, <laughs> that might you know, be helpful right might now. Be, might be more important. So, <laughs> um, so a lot in this, a lot in this package, uh, you know, a lot of money, and we've seen over the last year, when it comes to the federal government, we've seen a lot of money flow to cities. So mayors have been kind of having to try mm-hmm. to keep up, good problems to have right. uh, with this money flowing down. What do mayors need to know right now as we are, you know, it's not a done deal. It still needs to be approved by the Senate and the House. But it looks like it's moving forward. But what do mayors need to know? What what's their their role? Well, in this let's right let's even take a step back from this infrastructure bill right now. That's the future of mm-hmm. funding in, in municipalities. Right now, what we're dealing with are in the American Rescue Plan, or people are getting used to being called the ARPA, ARPA money. Um, there's money in there for water, wastewater, and broadband. Now these funds will be in every single municipality. As long as they accept their funds, there is an earmark form. So we're working on that now. So the mayors are getting comfortable with that. But so what I want to make sure mayors are doing is know that this infrastructure bill is on the horizon and know that there's water, wastewater, roads, broadband in that as well. And so let's start making generational type decisions and planning on how are we, you know, what we're going to use the ARPA money for this and it's going to tie into the infrastructure dollars for the next thing and let's start to transform communities with these dollars because they're not going to be there well that's not fair but we won't have have funding packages like this every single year Mm -hmm. so we need to think about making a difference in our community with these dollars yeah you you talk about you know it's not often that as a mayor you do get a chance to i mean we're always talking about the future i mean you and i know that cities are always going through you know 10-year strategic plans and and you are thinking about you know the future but it can sometimes be hard to get you know citizens really on board because you know like okay a a 10-year plan for this new downtown development is nice but there's a pothole right in front of my house i need to fix today so people are often thinking about in the immediate but this is a real opportunity that you know that is historic right you know they it all works together um you're as you work on your infrastructure and your municipality you have to be planning for the future uh, but, uh, you know, we always had this problem in Piedmont when, when I was the mayor that we would spend a significant amount of money fixing a road. But if you don't equally invest into the maintenance of that road in year two, year three, year four, then you are losing your investment. So that has to be part of the planning process um, that that you, you're going to have to maintain this infrastructure once you get. So I think that 
you can have the pothole conversation while you're having the planning mm. discussion at the same time because it's so critical or you're going to build something and it's it, it's going to be in the same condition, you know, five, ten years from now as what you're you're currently dealing with. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about what mayors can do right now as the process is still in Washington. But let's look into the future a little bit. Okay. And obviously we don't know all the details yet in terms of how the money will flow when we flow to states and then, you know, in then states will do all to local communities. But what can mayors be doing right now to prepare for that moment to where they can take advantage of this? Because there will be, you know, I mean, it's still going to come down to which which cities are are, are, are more aggressive and more active and trying Probably, to get those funds. I mean, if they if they follow this ARPA model where they're trying to get as money widespread, I hope that they that that at the federal level they they adopt this idea that um because Oklahoma City has has a definite advantage over well, you just mentioned Alva. We use them over Alva just because Oklahoma City has a hundred times the yeah. staff that Alva has, and so they are going to be aggressive at Oklahoma City. But we need to make sure that it, that's not fair to Alva. So we need to make sure that this process is fair and Alva can is get get the money as easily as them. So that's one thing that we should always be asking for in this kind of legislation. And part of that is just directly funding the municipalities, no matter their size. So that's one thing. But what we need to be doing right now, because this is nowhere near a done deal. It had, there's not even been a vote taken in the Senate. The only thing that's happened till today is that I believe the number 64, 65 senators have said, hey, yeah, we're in favor of this plan. But they haven't taken a vote on it. So we need to do what we do best in municipal government in, in as far as advocating for ourselves and we need to get on the phone we need to meet with our with our congressional delegation they're about to go into a break and they're going to be back Perfect in the time. district and this is the time to catch them face to face and make sure they know that we need this infrastructure bill and we want it to be a bipartisan effort well this is an opportunity to talk to the delegation about what this money will actually look like so instead of yeah. saying better rail, better roads, better bridges, better water. Like, what does that look like in your community, right? Oh, absolutely. That That's exactly how we should be putting because I think if you, it, it's it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> putting a face with a name, I suppose, but it, you, you need to be able to point to, look, look at our main streets in disrepair, and here's where we want to spend these dollars. Our wastewater and water infrastructure is old and, and, and falling apart. If you can... If you can point them to actual projects, there's one thing, especially we know we know this um, from from our, I know this from my time at Piedmont. Um, the one thing that our congressional delegation really loves is that when they actually fix something, and then you can point out, look what our what our congressman did. Um, they they want to you know I know they're not out there turning the wrenches or paving the road, but they like to be a part of that solution. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we you know give them the opportunity for that. So uh, so I think that. Point out what what you're going to do with those dollars is always critical in advocating. Yeah, if the timing works, you can tell the representative, hey, we'd love to have you back next year. It happens to be an election year, and you can yeah, help cut the ribbon absolutely. on this new road or this new infrastructure project. Every two years, I mean, it's unless you're a senator. And the, but the you know, I give uh, Senator Inhofe a lot of credit. Um, we'll, we'll, and I'm sure Senator Ling for giving the opportunity would be the same way. But Senator Inhofe has probably invested more dollars in Oklahoma infrastructure than any elected official we've ever had in this state. He's He just has put that as a priority. So I'm really, I'm hoping that he's supportive of this and that, uh, that uh, you know, he can continue his trend of really helping infrastructure in Oklahoma. You know, another piece of the plan that we didn't really talk about, but I think is really critical, especially in a state like Oklahoma, 
is increasing high-speed internet infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw a, a lot of the conversation around the pivot to virtual learning in many school districts across the state and how challenging that was, especially in a lot of the rural communities. You know, if you're if you're a student, you know, trying to do a Zoom lesson at home and you don't have, you know, high-speed internet, I mean, it, that's near impossible. Um, but this is also critical for, you know, businesses and, and a lot of at a lot of cities across the state. It's it's a priority in Oklahoma right now. The governor's made it a priority. The legislature has. I'm fortunate uh, to sit on the Rural Broadband Committee. Uh, we're trying to find the solutions on how do we get fiber to the entire state and not just not just laying fiber, but but addressing the last mile issue. That's the biggest thing. We, we you know we ha we actually I don't say we're we're we're, we're doing okay, uh, not great in getting fiber out. But when you talk about the last mile in rural Oklahoma, we're, we're in bad shape there. And now that means that we have a lot of rural students and rural businesses that are using very outdated technology, uh, you know, a lot of antenna line of sight type stuff that will not support distance learning. It will not support uh, being able to have virtual meetings. In the ARPA legislation, there's a, there is a uh, emphasis on broadband. And what they're demanding, which I think is interesting, and let me let me step back one second. The the FCC says twenty five up, five down. I think is the is the is what they consider high speed broadband. Well, what they're saying in the ARPA legislation is it needs to be a hundred up and a hundred down. Yeah. I was a little confused by that, so I, I contacted somebody that just knows more about that than I do. And their what their answer was is that with all of the video learning and all the video and, and virtual meetings that we're having you are putting as much data out as you're taking in mm. because it's a two-way street. Mm. So when they say they want 100 up and 100 down, it's because that's what the new technology demands. That's a little frustrating to our telecommunications partners because they would rather make that minimum really low to meet mm -hmm. it. So and, and fair to be fair to them, so they get it out to more people. But we're demanding more. We're, and, and so I, I like that the, that the administration has set the bar really high on broadband access, and as, as in Oklahoma, we need to do our best to try and meet that, especially in rural Oklahoma. Yeah, I was uh, talking with some leaders in a, in a rural community in Oklahoma, and they're, you know, they're like many communities, they're trying to focus on their downtown, their main street, and right. and how do we kind of spur more business? And of course, it's important to repave the road and maybe do some sidewalk infrastructure. But they're saying one of the most important thing is that access to high speed internet. A lot of businesses today are relying. Um, on those, you know, uh, on iPad and devices in order to complete transactions. Mm -hmm. So you swipe your card at the iPad. Well, you need to be able to link up to, uh, you know, to the internet. And it needs to go quickly because yeah. you need to be able to, to get that card through as quickly as possible. Um, you need to be able to make orders, um, you know, quickly as possible too when, yeah. when, if you're a retail shop that's ordering something for a customer. So I think there are, so rural Oklahoma, there, there's no argument here that rural Oklahoma is in jeopardy. Uh, we see our some of our towns that in, in cities that, that used to be so prominent in rural Oklahoma, and they're just shrinking. They're not growing like Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And I, I attribute that to three things. I, I attribute to, to lack of educational opportunities, lack of health care, and lack of economic development opportunities. Now, broadband actually will enhance all three of those. We already know that there are the, the distance learning works, and so we can enhance, even in times out of COVID, we can enhance rural education through, through distance learning. With the invention of, of telemedicine, which I use it all the time, I think it's the greatest invention ever to just bypass the doctor's office when you have something simple and get prescriptions, things like that. It's incredible. And then we also know that that, that is um, 
high-speed internet is now one of the top things when an economic developer comes into an area and says, what is your internet like? Because mm -hmm. there's not many industries anymore that don't don't rely on uh, on high-speed access to the internet. Yeah. So I think if we could if we can enhance that, we can enhance those three things. And obviously, this package could have a bit will have a big impact on on cities like Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Norman. Sure. But you talk about the rural communities, you know, and I don't want to be over dramatic and say maybe this saves rural Oklahoma, but this could definitely be one of the biggest shots in the arm that we've seen in a generation. It, yes, I, I believe, and I believe the focus. Uh, is very much on rural America mm -hmm. that people see that because th when you see that the kind of terms they're using about access to clean drinking water um, it, rehabbing infrastructure yes Oklahoma City has its problems just like Alva we, we, we've been talking about Alva all day but it, it's different when Alva has a problem with their water system versus Oklahoma City Oklahoma City has the resources they need Alva has to figure out how to solve that problem Oklahoma City just solves it uh, because they have the funds, they have the mm -hmm. manpower. Uh, and, and Alva, you know, and, and cities that size uh, out in rural Oklahoma, that's how it is every time. I, I was having this conversation yesterday and someone had asked me about Piedmont. And I said, in Piedmont, we fixed things when they broke, mm -hmm. but we had to figure out how to pay for it every time. Uh, that's, and that's just the problem that rural mayors face. It's like we just fix things and go on about our business. Yeah. So we'll have to continue to follow this. This, uh, we're, you know, like you said, nothing's a done deal yet, but it does seem like this conversation is going to intensify in Washington. So a very important time, uh, especially for mayors advocating for this package. Um, and then obviously, if they're still trying to learn more about the package, I, I'm sure you're available. The OML is available to, to help educate on that front too. We're gonna we'll be putting out information as we receive it uh, from from DC. Uh, it. it we don't even have language in a bill yet, so we, we, we need to get that, and then we need to review it. So there's there's a long ways to go, but I'm very optimistic today. So here, as before before we finish this week's episode, um, you know, another thing, you know, that's, you know, obviously been a big deal for the past year plus is COVID, but especially in recent weeks, we've seen cases increasing. Um, you know, you know the, the main issue is been the you know hospitals are becoming overcrowded right. you know cities are having to once again have the conversation of what how do we respond to uh you know increasing numbers and i don't think we're going to see the same types of responses that we saw a year ago in many places um but what are what are mayors talking to you about what are you know what are some of the challenges right now that they're facing on the covid front yeah i was hoping that from just my <laughs> from oml and myself that i i was past what we had to do over the last year as far as tracking all of this. But I will, I will tell you, from, from my standpoint, I have just recently picked up my old habits of how I'm tracking this, and it's on a daily basis. And I, I would, again, I really hoped I didn't have to do that. Over the last uh, 10 days, I've met with Mayor Holt in Oklahoma City. I met with Mayor Bynum and Mayor Clark in Norman. And, and, and I say I met with them more in an official manner to talk about this very subject. And then I've had this discussion with a dozen other mayors. Uh, the problem is that the numbers are going up across the state. And different than when COVID first showed up where it really shot up in the large cities and then we saw it in the rural areas, we're, we're seeing kind of a consistent rise right now, mm -hmm. which that gives me some concern. We've already seen Tulsa announced yesterday that they're they're they are following the CDC guidelines. I think that's all that they they had announced, um, and I think you're going to see a lot of cities fall suit. I know that Mayor Clark uh, in Norman that she has recently put out a message just encouraging people to let's hey let's start wearing our mask again. So I think what you're going to see is you'll see the mayors they'll take that first 
a preemptive type step with the mask and see where it goes. Because as you remember, it was the mask that slowed it down the first time. And I don't want to get in the political discussion of a mask, but it, mask helped. Mm -hmm. You can argue it however you want, but the numbers don't lie and masks helped. So I think we will see mayors encouraging that first before they go to that next step. Now, let me give everybody some encouraging news. I've had to think about this a lot lately. When, when COVID first hit, I'll be honest with the listeners, the first 30 days, it knocked us on our butt. We didn't know what to do. We were scrambling, trying to figure out what, 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 what do we do next? And it, it took us about a month, but then we dust ourselves off and we got to work. And I give a lot of credit to our mayors, our, our, just our municipal leaders in general, and especially our first responders. We figured it out quick. And then the state came in and the state did a good job of backing us up. We know how to deal with this. If we have a resurgence, we know how to deal with it. And I think that you will see, even if we go through a resurgence, that we're gonna handle it a lot better. So hopefully that will keep it from getting out of control and putting us right back in the position where we're having to close things because that's what we're trying to avoid. So I think you're seeing the preemptive steps of just trying to protect the public right now. Yeah, and obviously we're not at the peak that we were you know, last winter, um, but, but we are trending in the, in the wrong direction. And for a lot of, uh, I remember last year, um, uh, you know, COVID really arrived in a lot of the towns uh, a few months later when school started. And yes. so now we're getting back to the, you know, we're getting to the it back to school. It at a worse time. Yeah, so, um, you know, so there are communities that, you know, last year in, in March, April, and May, the numbers weren't too too great, but then in August and September when, when schools gathered, and obviously schools are a huge, um, you know, one of the biggest employers and yes. gatherers of people in a lot of a lot of communities across across Oklahoma, that's when we really saw some of the numbers grow there. So, you know, and, and unfortunately that's where we're... Uh, well, and there, there's a good point in there too, and this is, I, I'm going to be preaching this a lot over the next couple of weeks. Mayor Clark in Norman, Mayor Joyce in Stillwater, they have a completely different priority at the end of July than the rest of our mayors because they are thinking about 20,000 students or new re residents coming into their community literally overnight. And now the legislature, they didn't beat us up as bad as I thought they were going to during the last session, but they did hamper us a little bit on our ability to require the mass. Um, so I, there's some things working against us in that regard, but everybody living in Stillwater and Norman or just who's interested needs to cut those mayors some slack because I was so disappointed in Oklahomans and the way they treated those two mayors when they were doing the best to protect their community. It wasn't, they were thinking about our economy could literally fail without these two universities. That's how dependent both, both cities are on those universities. So cut them some slack. They're doing the best they can to protect their communities, uh, but they're going to have to make different decisions right now than other mayors are. Yeah, the impact is just different, you know, in, in different cities and, and what it looks mm -hmm. like in Oklahoma City and what it looks like in Alva is, is going to be going to be different. So Kelly's yeah, going to be point. really happy. We have like completely. Yeah, we have like maybe we should do some commercials for Alva. <laughs> Yeah, go uh, visit the haunted hospital out there. <laughs> yeah, a, a good a good place to visit, and definitely a good yeah. a, a good. I, I I assume a good stop if you're flying on a private jet to Colorado. Yeah, like I, I think so. I <laughs> uh, haven't had that experience, but I, I assume it's good. I've so. seen him laying on the tarmac. So, yeah. yeah. So well, um, a lot of things to continue to keep an eye on. Um, you know, especially as it relates to infrastructure here in the coming weeks. We know. Uh, OML will continue to put out more information and guidance to mayors and city leaders um, as we learn more. And so it's going to be an important few weeks, and obviously mayors have a role to play as we advocate for the passage of this. Mike, thanks so much. Thanks, Ben.